Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking to David Harrison again. We're going to be looking at theistic evolution. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back. Friends, today, like I said in the introduction, uh, this is part three, uh, talking with David Harrison. Uh, He describes himself as an enthusiast uh, on the creation-evolution debate. We're going to be talking about theistic evolution. There are many Christians out there, although it's starting to appear like there are more Christians that are believing in a biblical young earth perspective now than there are old earth. But I remember when I first started, uh, um, when I was new in the faith, okay, it seemed as if most of the apologists out there, most of the Christian ministries were teaching that um, the earth was millions of years old, that uh, mankind did in fact evolve from apes, um, that God used evolution in order to create all life on this planet. And so today we're going to continue this conversation with David Harrison on that subject. Did God use evolution to create all life on this earth? And so uh, just a word of caution, if you didn't hear part one or part two, this was recorded live. This is the first time that I've recorded a podcast live. David Harrison actually lives very close to where I'm at. He's just one city over, which, you know, good half hour drive and he's over here. And uh, he was sitting right across from me at the table. So that was kind of fun. The unfortunate side effect of that is I've got a dog named Buford, who is a black lab. He's older than dirt, okay? He is millions of years old. And I've got uh, uh, um, uh, hardwood floors. And so you hear him walking around the room several times, clicking on the floor. At one point, somebody comes to the door, and my dog sounds off and barks a couple times, (laughs) and also my cat Mog, who is more than millions of years old. Actually, literally, Mog is about 20 years old. He is an old, old cat. He's looking pretty pretty sickly at this point, which is kind of sad. He's been my buddy for a long time, but uh, Mog also... Uh, chimes in a couple times. So, you know, it is what it is. I wasn't going to edit it out, especially because if I try to edit it out, it, it'll actually um, edit out what David or I was saying at the time. So um, it is what it is. We're just going to roll with it. So that's what you're listening to today. We're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week. And so with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. So the, the genealogies are, are something that, that is a place of contention as well um we've looked at um the the argument of death and sin entering um one interesting thing that came up when i was researching this is um hugh ross um says we don't know when satan the nakash the rebel of of you know genesis 3 fell so he's apparently not tying that event to the Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 of the shining one uh-huh. where the prophets are 
essentially browbeating these real kings with an ancient story of the first rebel, which in the New Testament says this first rebel sinned from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing where Adam and Eve were made in the beginning, which is interesting. Um, but if Ezekiel 28, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 are speaking of the Nakash, the shining one, the rebel of Eden, then he was created perfect. He was part of the creation of the supernatural beings that, according to Job, sang at the creation of the world. Um, and so his rebellion happens after the creation, after the Garden of Eden, because he's a guardian of Eden. He walks on the mountain of God, which is in Eden. Um, and his rebellion doesn't affect the planet. It affects his judgment is on him. So, so that rebellion of the Shining One doesn't bring a judgment on the, on the planet hmm. or on man. Mm-hmm. Um, it brings the judgment on him. And we find that in Ezekiel 28, 28 and Isaiah 14. Um, and also the Genesis 3 um, right. part. So, um, and then the second judgment is Adam. So Adam, because he's given dominion of the planet of Earth, his I would argue that his judgment not only affects him, brings death to him, but affects the planet. So as man goes, so goes the planet. Romans 8, where creation is subject to futility, degeneration, and it yearns for restoration, which in theistic evolution, as we just talked about, there's no restoration of, of, of Earth. It's always going to be pain, struggling, death, disease, because mm-hmm. that's the way it was before. It never fell to that. It was always that. Um, so that to me is was interesting. Um, this is another deep time um, thing that I found interesting is um, they don't think there's enough time in Genesis. In so they so Genesis two, um, where. Eden is formed before Adam mm-hmm. and then Adam's naming the animals and then Eve is, Eve is created out of Adam's side. Can that happen in a 24 hour, hour period or do those events have to merit much more time? That's, that's a, a question they brought up, um, <clears throat> which is interesting. So um, if we, if we have a supernatural creator, could the growth of the garden and, and those trees and stuff have been rapid to a fully formed functioning ecosystem in the garden. Um, and then, so did it, but did it, or did it take thousands of years to grow a, a big tree in the garden kind of thing? And, and then, so they would say, well, then God has to teach Adam how to tend the garden and do that stuff. And then he brings the creatures to him. And here again, they go with species. Um, he's naming, thousands of species possibly but they would also say well probably not all the species on earth were in the garden um so he's naming and and so that gets kind of confusing yeah um, i don't think that's a really good argument because yeah yeah, if you're looking at like the the bare minology the the study Mm -hmm. of the created kinds you could probably list go down a list of created kinds in about an hour yeah. Of, so, of, so, of all the different kinds of yeah. animals out there. You, you don't yeah. have to name all the dogs. Just that's so, the dog. Something that's the cat. From studying the Hebrew, um, you know, the, it, when it's talking about birds, mm-hmm. the word is like flyers. So naming was according to function a lot of times in, in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he could have just been like, those are the flyers. 
these are the crawlers. You know, <laughs> it could have been as general some naming as that. And we're not we're not you know, given how, those details. Yeah. So we're not given exactly how many creatures he named. Were they just the local creatures of Eden? Because God didn't So here's the thing is did God create pockets of creatures around the planet and they were to expand and fill the planet? He probably didn't put all the creatures in Eden. because um, that's a lot of that's it's you know. Um, and and even and even we see with the, the flood record, you know, was there a section where there are a lot more reptiles that were inundated and, and killed off, dinosaurs and stuff, but there were more mammals in another area, and that's why we don't see a lot of mixing in the fossil record. There there are ecosystems that are covered and buried and stuff like that. So that's kind of interesting to look at. So um, so here's the thing too is because in Genesis one it says in six day God uh, made them male and female. Um, does Genesis two have to happen in that sixth day? Is a question I bring up because because the their argument is, you know, that sixth day Genesis two has to fit in that sixth day. But here's the thing: is if God wrote Genesis one, that's from His perspective, and and He's saying I made male and female, um, and then it's Genesis two from Adam's perspective. And could it be after the sixth day that Eve is even made? Because in Adam is Eve. And that's the way I've, I've taken it. Is so, that so that's, that's Genesis kinda... 2 is, is the creation account has already happened. And mm-hmm. now God is creating the garden and yeah. Eve out of Adam's yeah. side. It's, it's a busy day. Sure. Yeah. It's definitely a busy day. But... Well, but is, is Genesis 2, it never says it happened in a day. Good point. Could that have been after the sixth day, but God is kind of summarizing day six, man and woman. Um, and and so here's a question is, is even if it's just Adam at the end of day six, but not Eve, but Eve is inside of him or part of him, mm-hmm. God makes him male and female. I don't know. That's, it's, a, it's just an interesting thing I'm throwing out there. Mm, but so. then we would have, if that was the case... Um, God is still creating on that day, though, out of the dust of the ground. So I wonder. So Eve would be, so Eve would still be a creation, well, a formation from a rib. She's not creation from nothing. And He ceased from creating on the seventh, on the day. seventh day. So that would make that would make me think it was on the sixth day. That yeah. it was kind of like yeah. a a zoom in snapshot yeah. of. So that, so that's I just wanted to bring that up because that's another kind of area of of debate or contention is sure could those events happen in a twelve sixteen you know, 24 hour period. Um, could Noah get lonely that quick? Um, you know, by naming the animals and realizing there's no one else, you know, to help him, they would say, well, it takes time to get lonely. You know, I'm like, well, if you're really brilliant and bright, no, it doesn't. (laughs) If you're surrounded by animals and you notice there's no one like me and you're like, what's the deal? You know, that doesn't take a whole lot of time. Mm. So, so I don't know. So that's, that's an interesting thing. Um, Another interesting thing that I came across is some people would argue that death, mutation, disease, and stuff was outside the garden, but then God, when God created the garden, it was perfect. There wasn't death, you know. That was that was that was like heaven in in hell, almost. Mm-hmm. So so there you have outside the garden is chaos, and God makes the garden and tells Adam, "You're supposed to spread the garden out to the rest of the world." essentially, which I agree with that part, but not necessarily that the garden is this, 
this like perfect world and but outside the bounds of the garden is where everything else has fallen apart and chaos rules and and stuff but that's that's an interesting perspective on on some of that too so yeah but as for a quick summary so the biblical arguments seem to focus on the creation days the genealogies um does the bible directly talk about when the age and then also it's not there's lots of truth that's not in the bible the bible's not a scientific primer on origins um and and kind of stuff like that so those are kind of the main i guess i would call big biblical arguments um that i found that come from deep time theistic evolution Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in kind of summary so you ready for the scientific arguments? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So this is what I was able to dig up. <clears throat> and I'm glad we started with the foundation of the Bible because really that should be the end of the debate. You know, let's yeah. let's start with the Bible and then look at the world, not look at the world, man's interpretation, yeah. which has been based on uniformitarianism, this slow, and gradual naturalism, on, naturalism yeah. onward and upward. Why would we as Christians go to the secular world to get our worldview and mm-hmm. then turn around and bring it to the Bible and cram it in there and make the Bible say what the world, who doesn't believe in God, is saying? Yeah, and that's that's why I brought up my primary condition is supernatural, supernatural worldview versus naturalistic worldview, yeah. um, which is where that real battle rages. Um, but does that lead us down a slippery slope? to accepting man's primacy and science as the authority and starting to strip the Bible of its supernatural elements. Yes, it does. Um, resurrection's not scientific. Um, incarnation's not scientific. Miracles aren't really scientific. Well, Jesus doesn't heal anymore. Um, you know, it takes you down this slope to where Donkeys you have Christian... Donkey's talking is not scientific. <laughs> you have Christian pastors leaving Christianity because naturalism has stripped them of a supernatural God and, and creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's... And, and part of the thing is they haven't experienced anything supernatural. And so they start to doubt it. They're living off of their experiences. Um, it's not, and, and here's my thing is I haven't personally seen a miracle happen before my eyes, but I personally know people who have had supernatural things happen to them. Sure. And I think because we, we live in this naturalistic bubble in America we think that's the way it is, and unfortunately, a lot of pastors get that naturalistic stuck in them. Mm-hmm. And since they've never experienced the supernatural, the supernatural creator is not real to them. And so that it starts peeling away and stripping supernaturalism from their worldview until all they end up is is naturalists. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of times that God will work providentially, mm-hmm. and so something amazing will happen that. A Christian will look back and say, oh my goodness, I had no idea, but God had providentially guided every single one of my steps through that whole process. And you can look in hindsight and see that, but sometimes you don't see it as it's happening. Um, I had the (laughs) luxury of walking a walk of of, um, pure sin and uh, uh, played with a lot of, of... witchcraft before getting saved and i got to see the supernatural world from the wrong team's side Mm. okay so when i when i 
did trust in Christ, I already knew, okay, the supernatural is real. And I know who the bad guys are. <laughs> I know what the other team looks like. And I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. And I want to... I want to be forgiven. I want to trust in the one who not only created the entire heavens and earth, but then came down here and willfully gave himself in the most horrific way, gave his life on the cross so that we could be saved from, from the punishment that we deserve. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, I, in other words, and I, and I was obviously being, uh, sarcastic when I said I had the luxury. I'm joking around, but yes, I did get to see it from that angle. Um, yeah, and anyone listening who's experienced the supernatural, um, it it pretty much inoculates you from a naturalistic worldview because you realize humans can't observe all of reality. <laughs> There's so much, so much that we can't observe of reality, and the supernatural is just one part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I want to I want to tackle before we move on to scientific stuff is um, if God creates fully form functioning systems mm-hmm. with the appearance of age, is He lying to us? So when a naturalistic scientist looks at um, water to wine, a healed ear, is that a lie of nature? And I would say no, because God specifically revealed He works supernaturally in that. So He He He, he reveals He's a supernatural being. Yep. Outer mm-hmm. dimensional being not bound to time, matter, and energy that he created. Um, and he worked supernaturally. So he's not lying to you if you look at nature and it looks old. Okay? Correct. So because they will say, um, you know, it, it's, it's antithetical to God's nature to create a young earth and give it an artificial appearance of age. He's lying to us. He's deceiving people through the book of nature. And I'm like... Nah, he told you he's a supernatural being and he did it supernaturally. And when we look at the example of Jesus, he creates fully formed functioning systems. Changing water to wine is a lie of nature. It's supernatural. And that's why I go and back. And by to, definition, a miracle. Yeah. And that's why I go back even to what I quoted from John MacArthur saying creation was not scientific, it didn't follow naturalistic processes because it was from a supernatural being. And he said he spoke it from nothing. He, he stretched the heavens. He's, he's talking about supernatural things. Um, and no, so that's, no matter what, you're going to have a supernatural scenario. Just the idea of uh, a, a vacuum with an infinitesimally small <laughs> dot starting to spin miraculously and yeah. gets hot and explodes. And everything we see, that's actually – that is supra – outside of nature that's supernatural yeah. Yeah. you can't have something with the properties of nothing do something the origin of life being also supernatural um convicting the law of biogenesis mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. comes from life um, keep going yep i'm gonna text my wife and kids and tell them not to walk in the front door for another <laughs> half hour all right yeah so so that's really just my perspective on on that and I get it. I get why naturalistic scientists look at things and get deep time. They get age. They get matur- maturity. Um, they're only looking at one um, revelation of God. It's not a book. It's not super clear. But they're only looking at that. And I can get why they see something as old. If they, if they came to that party and, and drank that wine, it'd be old. Uh, fermented um, juice... 
not getting the supernatural elements that put it there or the guy whose ear was healed in a matter of minutes that should have taken months. Um, so someone with those naturalistic glasses is always going to get it wrong when it comes to supernatural events. Mm-hmm. So, so I just wanted to cover that again real quick before we go to the scientific arguments. I'm going to sum these up because I don't think we have time or the intellect necessarily to refute each one of them. Sure. Um, okay, so um, size of the universe, light travel. Um, there's So it takes a certain amount, you know, the speed of light to get across. We, we got, the, we got the, stars the that are billions of yeah. light years away. Yeah. So the speed of light <clears throat> time um, issue is something they bring up. Um, a good – Ian Juby does a great um, expose on this. He's like there's not enough time in the universe because the farthest back we can see, we see fully formed galaxies. Not baby galaxies, old galaxies. So there's a starlight time problem for both young and old. Yeah, it's, it should be way older. Right. Um, but the problem is that you get the heat death of the universe and other crazy stuff when you make it older. Um, and also the microwave background radiation as a constant temperature. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't have been time. You should have hot spots and cold spots in the universe, and it's, it's pretty even. There's not enough time for that to happen. So so saying we need more time is and, – and, and time is not the hero of this story, especially with progressive evolution. Time destroys stuff. Stuff degenerates. That's right. Entropy destroys things. First um, and second law of thermodynamics. So the other one is ice cores and sediment cores or barves um, Mm -hmm. is is, uh, something they bring up. Tree rings, barves, um, carbon-14 dating are all things that um, are used to try to show old age to things. Um, And so – and once again, I'm going to have to refer you searchcreation.org on that. Genesis Week, Ian Juby, um, they deal a lot in with bringing up those mm-hmm. those counter arguments yeah. for those. Um, helium diffusion and zircons was another one that came up. Um, of course, radiometric isotope dating. There's forty some different methods of radiometric dating. Um, but one of the challenges is when we date rocks, we know their ages. We almost get them wrong. We get uh-huh. them wrong pretty much every time. So, for example, you ha- we have a historical record of this volcano erupting. You can go get that metamorphic rock and cut and radiometric isotope date it in lots of different ways. You get a huge variety of A dates. huge range um, and, all over the map. And what we have to understand with dating methods is there's calibration mm-hmm. of, your, of your decay rates and calibration of that method. And it depends how you calibrate stuff with what age you're going to get, too. So, so there's a lot of assumptions in radiometric, radiometric isotope dating, and you can find lots of um, rebuttals um, on that stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, continental drift, movement of glaciers. Um, again, the sedimentation barves kind of thing, um, which Ian Juby does a, a, an interesting episode on barves. Which is basically what is that? Yeah, it's, yeah. What is it's a, a kind of? It's a in a lake where you have kind of a, you know less wave action. You get laid down some organic compounds between layers in a lake, and um, so mm-hmm. it has to do with. Um, I believe it has to do with also the moon going around the Earth. Um, you know how it moves. The yeah, it'll. it'll mm-hmm. um, 
So I don't know all the stuff on varves, but it's tied to that. So it's kind of like micro sedimentation. Okay. We could almost say. And um, so those are what I've been able to find as kind of some of the major uh, scientific, the really ice cores, tree rings, uh, varves. Um, some of this, they have um, the, the reefs um, being... Um, 140,000 years, 790,000 years for some of the reefs and stuff like that too. So, um, so those are some of the lake varves, um, different natural time clocks we could kind of say. Um, tree rings, for example, is does each ring represent a year? Does it represent a warm cold cycle? Um, you know, different stuff like that. Same with ice cores. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Does that represent a year? Does that represent just a warm time and a cold time? Um, the amount of accumulation. Um, are we talking about just the rates of accumulation today? Because I mean, if you have an ice age in the past, you have rapid accumulation. That's right. That's ages. right. And and, and so stuff. again, so you're assuming kind of a uniformitarian. Yeah. And, and any dating method, whether it's used by old earth or young earth, has those assumptions. Mm-hmm. Because the old earth people will come to the young earth people and be like, you're using those assumptions too. And it's like, well, you just used them too. So so that's that's where we come back to um, kind of the supernatural worldview versus naturalism. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, the, the, the scientific evidence thing, if, if you've studied the age of the earth and its development in naturalism, you know, it's it's gaining age. The Earth keeps getting older. The universe keeps getting older um, throughout human history, naturalistically trying to explain these things. And so that's um, – it just shows the frailty and the handicapped nature of science, I would say. So that's um, that's what I was able to come up with. And again, if, if you want – I have a blog, Science, the Handicapped Observational System, where I go into kind of really showing – Naturalistic science is handicapped. Side to human observation, we can't we can't observe all of reality. We keep expanding our observational horizons with machines. We can now see ultraviolet light. We can now see microscopic worlds. We can now see deep see deep space. But according to naturalism, those things weren't real 200 years ago because we couldn't observe them. So that's how limited human observation. We keep observing new things. Scientific textbooks get rewritten and lots of stuff changed every 50 years Mm -hmm. Um, so human science is it's very susceptible to uh, politics and agenda Um, it's easily overturned by new discoveries and we keep observing more the supernatural is just the unobserved it's the undiscovered country as you will for those who love star trek (laughs) so yeah so that's 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 what I have come up with, kind of the scientific. There's probably more, but I have tried to scour and find um, kind of theistic evolutionists or old Earth creationists, like 101 evidences for old Earth, old universe, and I haven't found anybody who's really compiled it. Put a list like, together. Into a list, which um, which anybody in the world of SEO knows. Google 
loves lists. <laughs> yeah. People love so, lists. So if if you're out there and you have a list of this stuff, if you are an old us. earther, yeah. there's your opportunity. You put the list together, put it online. Google's going to find that. So is the rest of the world, and your site will rank. Yeah. So <laughs> help me in my research of this stuff. Help me find it um, and explore this. You know. So yeah. Um, and then I can, if we have time, I can just quickly go over what has convinced me of supernatural creation. Sure. Yeah, um, no, we've got and, time. And this, and I come back to this again is, um, could the universe be old and the earth young? Hmm. You know, so, uh, kind of like, uh, Russell Humphrey's yeah, time, uh, dilation, time theory, dilation, which I admit has been it, challenged, has had its issues. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Still fascinating theory. It's very fascinating. Um, you know, and um, and even just we're dealing with supernatural <clears throat> creation, so that should blow <clears throat> anybody's mind, right? <laughs> when we're trying to explain things naturalistically, I have, a, I have a young man at church who is trying to explain explain the expansion of the universe in the first seconds of the Big Bang or or something, and he's like, I don't think the Big Bang kind of works, but he's trying to naturalistically explain something supernaturally occurred. Uh huh. And I'm like, you're always going to fall short. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trying to naturalistically explain something. At what point do you go back and say, oh, and this is where God went, boop, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, and that's that's where I'm actually okay with being like, could be old, could be young. Not old as in necessarily time, but old as in mature, where we talked about the gotcha. to okay. kind of thing. Yeah. And, so that's and, where I, I come as a supernaturalist saying, could be old, could be young. God could have used lots of time. I don't think he's revealed it that way. Um, in the Bible necessarily. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stick to some biblical arguments that convince me um, of supernatural and recent life on earth, mm-hmm. recent creation. Um, so the first thing that's convinced me is just how um, handicapped, flawed, and bound to naturalism and blind um, science itself is as a tool. Mm-hmm. Humans, we just talked about this, humans can observe all of reality um, and it's progressive but you have a hiccup like a huge volcano, boom, there goes the scientists of Pompeii. <laughs> How solid was your science <laughs> when a burp of earth wipes you out? You know, it just wiped out all their science. Um, so it's it's really tied to the frailty of humanity. And it's a science stopper because if you only think that what you can observe is real, you won't go farther. You'll be a scientist without imagination. And historically our great scientists have been supernaturalists. Right. From, that is from true. Newton to Faraday, Descartes. Um, Not all of them were Christians. No. But they believed in a supernatural even world. Even Darwin, even Darwin, maybe even until the end of his life, believed in still a creator at uh, some he, level. He went to school to be a, 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 Theologian, a, a minister. Yeah. So yeah. He at least started out as a supernaturalist. Um, and even, even, even when he got age and, and evolution, he still... There's still some supernatural elements to his worldview, which is very interesting. So um, the second, the fossil record, we talked about even older creationists would agree there's no Darwinian tree of life. It's an orchard of kinds. Um, there's genetic boundaries. Again, we talked about the coelacanthin validating the fossil record. So the fossil record does not show evolution, just fossilization, not how long a creature lived before um, or after it was fossilized. Greater ancestors in the fossil record we talked about. Um, young life on Earth, um, speciation to extinction, 
is scientific. That's what we see in the fossil record and what we can observe. Um, and then original biomaterials in dinosaurs and, and other fossils. Um, we find cells, protein, collagen, DNA, um, carbon-14 being found in coal, diamonds, fossils, um, stuff that's way older and it shouldn't be there. Supposedly. And it's, way not, it's not contamination mm-hmm. kind of thing. Right, um, right. So, um, so those are things kind of scientifically that have convinced me of supernatural creation. The evidence for catastrophism versus gradualism, um, just from geology and stuff. Um, and then biology, degenerative evolution theory, which is um, speciation to extinction, genetic impoverishment, and genetic boundaries, um, limiting adaptational ability. So a dog um, is never going to face something that's going to make it grow wing. That genetic information is just not in its genome. Right. And mutations are going to destroy that information. Humans have between 100 and 3,000 mutations in us right now. And we're carrying a mutational load each generation, which means my kids are going to have more mutations than I do. Eventually, that's going to cause our extinction. Or um, or make X-Men. <laughs> unfortunately, no. <laughs> I wish. Um, I, so we're we're done for. We're going to go extinct genetically if God right? doesn't come back. So no, that's a real it's problem. It's a supernatural solution that we have to look for. Um, so so that to me, the really the genetic side of things has really convinced me of young life on Earth. Life on Earth is just falling apart way too fast. Mm-hmm. Evidence from the fossil record and from genetics. Um, the genealogies we talked about, uh, biblical ages declining, and the extra-biblical genealogies that we mentioned. Um, human history. So here's something really interesting because I follow some of these um, ancient Near Eastern theologians and um, guys who really study Hebrews, Hebrew languages and stuff. And the cultures around Israel had Eden in their theology mm-hmm. mountain of the gods um the and that makes sense to me because the, the, the super, it was a real place a supernatural incursion um if eden was not a real place and not a real event how did these other cultures have this kind of dna of eden stuck into them even the building of pyramids <clears throat> all over the planet is stuck to the mountain of god in eden um and that's really a fun exploration for for people to look at um so the divine councils, supernatural beings, the incursion events of Genesis 6, um, they all dominate ancient cultures. Even global flood you know, legends dominate ancient cultures. So if these were events that were millions of years in the past, so if you're a deep time old earth creationist and Eden is like millions of years ago, these cultures aren't going to carry that. Mm-hmm. that long mm-hmm. correct um, that's right and so that to me is an evidence of recent eden because there's right. there's things ideally ideas theologies um stuff that these other cultures around israel and even farther from israel um after the flood bill cooper goes into the monotheism of most ancient cultures um india china were monotheistic originally um that shouldn't be if those cultures are millions of years old or even multiples of thousands of years old. So just human history and language convinces me of, of recent life on earth. You know, it's interesting too. If you, uh, I would imagine a secularist would, 
see the existence of a concept of Eden and all these surrounding cultures, they would see that as the Bible authors, the authors of the scriptures borrowed mm-hmm. that concept of Eden and, and pulled it into the Bible versus a theistic evolutionist, I would imagine, would say the exact opposite. These cultures around it borrowed the idea of Eden and it found its way into all these cultures. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So they'll argue that Israel was pulling these ideas from the other cultures. The problem, the, but there was a real event in the history because otherwise it's not real, it's fiction. Right. So, so God is using fictional events and fictional stories to illustrate spiritual truths, which really just messes up the resurrection and lots of other stuff. Um, and it really, it really diminishes the view of God. I mean, yeah, yeah. if God so, is just is just telling us just so little stories, no different than Santa Claus coming down a little chimney and bringing us toys every year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. It's it's pre scientific, but not pre reality. You know, and I come back to that. So, so that has convinced me just those aspects from human history, and then just the supernaturalism of Jesus and how those fully formed. He, we see this pattern of of rapid creation, miracles, restoration. I mean, he takes dead things and brings them back to life. And here's a question: What's harder, supernatural creation or the resurrection of every human that's ever lived? Because the Bible says that's going to happen. That and that is every human happen. that's ever lived. Billions and billions of people are going to be supernaturally resurrected. Some of them from nothing. Like there's God. God's going to bring them back from nothing. They've been eaten by sharks or or burned, <laughs> cremated, whatever. Cremated, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be brought back from nothing supernaturally. Um, if you have a problem with supernatural creation, you've got to have a problem with resurrection. And and so so that's where Sorry, I'm guys. like so I, that's why I think you heard- traveling down that road of naturalism <laughs> into theistic evolution is going to lead you into worldview inconsistencies, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I'm I'm happy to be a supernaturalist, and I'm I'm even happy with some of that dichotomy of old, young, mature, supernatural that we kind of talked about um, with did Jesus make old wine, <laughs> right? So. Anyway, so um, if you'd like to learn more, visit originsunited.com. That's my website. And I've just, I wrote my first novel, self-published it. And it deals with a lot of these issues. Um, it's you called Seed, Genesis, Immortals. Yeah. <laughs> and um, for those of you watching, this is my rough draft of Genesis Harmonized. Oh, really a little bit of glare. Yeah. But anyway, I'm working on putting this together and publishing it hopefully in the next month if uh, God allows and I don't get too much work going on. Um, And then I'm working on a a website you can visit right now. It's still in progress called The Science Underground. Um, I'm working on a ministry for science teachers and students in public schools. That's fascinating. So that's that's really an area where I think um, is a mission field. Mm-hmm. in America and um, to bring good, good observations, good science. Um, it can go in and talk about outer dimensional beings, interdimensional beings in a, in a public classroom, but I can't mention the word God, but that's okay. <laughs> so you have to think outside the box a little bit, um, but that is uh, uh, scienceug.com. 
um, it's the Science Underground. So I couldn't get Science Underground from my whole domain. So, um, but you, I'll have some links to that on Origins United pretty soon. But I'm building that website, trying to develop, trying to develop just a one page. Um, for example, Lucy, she's one of the icons of evolution. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. one really fun visual page. The front PDF, the back is 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 websites and resources for kids to go further. So they could take that into their classroom and have some questions for their teacher. Um, Origin of the universe. Well, don't scientists like Bill Nye believe in supernatural events too? Like universe from nothing, life from nothing? Mm-hmm. Um, so things to empower students in their public school classrooms. Yeah. Just with good, solid scientific evidences and supernatural worldview. Awesome. Awesome. Well... Yeah. Um, I guess what we're wrapping this up, um, we might have to do this again here before too long, but yeah, thanks for coming on. And yeah. And, and as I say, I'm not an expert in this field. I'm an enthusiast. So, um, I'd love your feedback. You can write me at originsunited at gmail.com and, um, come to the website, explore some more and, um, doing some fun stuff here in Colorado. So very cool. And uh, if you're watching by video and you don't know who I am, I'm Michael Bohm, Youth Apologetics Training. Uh, You can check out uh, my teachings on youthapologetictraining.com. You can also find me on Sermon Audio. Uh, Thanks for watching, guys. I know it was a little bit chaotic. We got a dog running around here (laughs) and a 20-year-old ancient cat that keeps letting out uh, noises. So... Definitely um, not as bad as if Noah was doing a, a, a podcast. Uh, from the Ark. Yeah, from the Ark. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, thanks for watching, guys. And, yeah. uh, well, hopefully this will be the last. Okay, that was David Harrison, guys. Uh, he has been on the podcast before. We did a two-part series uh, a couple years back on dinosaurs and the Bible. I got a lot of feedback on that podcast. Lots of people loved it. So if you haven't heard that, you really need to go back and check that out. That was a really cool podcast. And that one, of course, was uh, via Skype, which is how I usually do interviews. So uh, really, avail yourself of that. Also, uh, keep in mind, David Harrison, he does have a website. It is sparklightplanet.com, as well as, we talked about this today, his new novel, Seed, you got to check that out. It's a pretty sweet uh, fiction book that incorporates a lot of apologetics, especially in the realm of creation and evolution. It's it's fun, okay? It's always fun when you can take fiction and marry it with good theology, lots of apologetics. Now you got something. Uh, so anyway, check those things out. And uh, next week... I will be back on. I'm undecided as far as what episode or what podcast I'm going to release next. I've got options. So I love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Sing it out loud, declaration.